You know, this morning I want to share with you uh, a message about Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem, you know, I put this message several, together several years ago uh, because it was relevant then. And uh, how much more relevant is it today? Boy, it is so easy when the news uh, does the advertising as it is for your sermons. Uh, usually we read the news and then we write the sermon. Uh, here, uh, I was writing about and Psalm 122 and the place of Jerusalem uh, in our lives because Jerusalem is Jerusalem. Uh, what can you say about it? Um, it it's on everybody's mind. Uh, it's in the forefront. And now, even more than ever, um, and regardless of the politics of President Trump and this, uh, all of the controversy that goes on in the U.S., um, well, yesterday I was flipping between CNN and Fox News, uh, and they're both talking about President Trump, uh, as you can imagine, with quite different perspectives. I said, this is like schizophrenic, you know. Uh, do I want to get upset? Do I want to feel good? What am I supposed to be feel good about? What am I supposed to feel upset about? But the declaration uh, of President Trump and the United States uh, that Israel is the capital, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, uh, in Israel was one of the few times where we all felt good from all of the political spectrum, uh, whether you're religious or secular, everyone felt just a good feeling. And we don't get that too often in Israel. Um, uh, last time I remember it was when the Tel Aviv Maccabi basketball team won the Euro Championships. The time before that was when the Eurovision Song Festival was won uh, by uh, some Israeli singers. So we don't get that feeling, but the fact that the United States declared Jerusalem the capital was just something that spoke to the hearts of all of us in Israel. Um, and, and at the end of the day, that's what matters. It's our home, our capital. Uh, it's not England's capital. It's not France's capital. It's not the United States' capital. It's our capital. And when the UN declared in November 2016 that the Jewish people had no historic right to Jerusalem. Um, uh, speaking about the days of the hippies, I felt like I had crawled down uh, Alice, in, Alice in Wonderland's uh, hole again uh, to the world of fantasy and, and imagination. How could the UN declare that Jerusalem ha Jews have no historic right? Um, even if you don't accept the Bible as the word of God, which I do, uh, it's a historic document. We didn't write this in 1948. Uh, the Psalms, and we'll look this morning at Psalm 122, was written uh, almost 3,000 years ago. Um, uh, at least 2,500 years ago it was written. Uh, and there's evidence of that. The artifacts they're finding, uh, and have been finding for decades in Jerusalem, of uh, the Jewish presence. Um, but uh, God bless the U.N., or as Ben-Gurion, in Hebrew, the UN is called Um. And uh, Ben-Gurion, uh, uh, the founder, of the first the prime minister of Israel, his comment was Um Shmum Klum, uh, which was UN, big deal, big deal, they're nothing. 
Um, and uh, that's what we thought. But Jerusalem is a special place. And Jerusalem means a lot of things to a lot of people, but it means the most, I think, to the Jewish people. Um, uh, you know, we sing as Christians, we sing songs about Jerusalem, um, but it's more than a song and it's more than a concept. Um, it's more than a political rally point. Um, some of us actually have lived in Jerusalem. It's your address. Um, where do you live? Jerusalem. Uh, I don't live in Jerusalem. I've chosen not to live in Jerusalem uh, because it's kind of hectic. Uh, and in terms of sharing the gospel with Jewish people and feeling a lot of freedom, uh, we found much more freedom in Tel Aviv um, you know, to share with our neighbors and our community. And uh, certainly uh, the need in Nahariya uh, is important. But Jerusalem is uh, this geographic and historic place to meet with the living God. It's a city that God has called unto himself to be important. Jerusalem is about Yeshua. Uh, Yeshua didn't live in Jerusalem uh, ever. Uh, he lived in Galilee, like I do. Um, and these days, since I live in Galilee, I like to think of myself as a man from Galilee. Uh, of course, Jesus was the man from Galilee. Um, you know, big difference. And I, if you remember the song, I put my hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. Well, not my hand, please. Yeshua's hand. He's the man from Galilee. But Jerusalem was significant to his life. Uh, his last, the last supper, the last Seder, that he had with the disciples was in Jerusalem. Um, his death occurred in Jerusalem. His resurrection to Chiat Mehametim was in Jerusalem, and his return will be in Jerusalem. And so, when we think of Jerusalem, uh, we think of the city of God, and we think of the role of Yeshua Himself. Um, in history, uh, Jerusalem had a very significant place. Um, look at the fact, 726 times it's mentioned in the Bible. Um, one method of Bible study I discovered, to, you know, when you want to know whether a doctrine or something is important, a simple tool is how many times is it mentioned in the Bible. Like uh, Jude, in the book of Jude, it talks about Jesus going down to uh, Hades or wherever, um, one time. Well, how important is that? Um, Jerusalem is mentioned 762 times. How important is that? Well, that becomes pretty important if God mentions it again and again and again in so many different contexts and so many different references. Um, an interesting thing that weighs in on this message is that Jerusalem's been destroyed 25 times and rebuilt, 26. And the question would come, how could God allow his holy city to be destroyed? And the answer, without giving away the key to the message, is the holiness of Jerusalem is not the city, the bricks, the stones, or the people. The holiness is the Lord God and the people's commitment to him. God is not a respecter of persons or places in that regard. What makes Jerusalem holy is when people are there 
worshiping the Holy One of Israel. Um, and I think this is one of the mistakes and points of turning away that, that Jews, Christians, and even Muslims make in thinking that the city itself um, is significant, but what's significant is the God of Israel. Um, what's significant is the Lord and what he does. And even if the city is destroyed, it's still the city of God. Um, even if the city experiences hardship, uh, it's still a holy place because it's the one address on the planet that God has affixed himself to. Um, on the earth, you need a physical space. You need an address. People ask you, where do you live? Um, some of you uh, old-timers may remember that years ago, if uh, you sent a letter to Billy Graham, Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, in his early, that's how it would get, Billy Graham. I don't think uh, if you did that today, I don't know where it would go, especially Billy Graham has passed on, uh, and so we have his memory, but, but Billy Graham, Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, you know, uh, I don't think if you wrote to uh, Elliot Clayman, San Diego, California, he would get it, as important as Elliot uh, is to many of us. Um, Santa Claus, on the other hand, I think he still gets mail at uh, the North Pole. I think you can still send a letter, Santa Claus, North Pole. But we're not talking about Santa Claus. We're talking about the Lord God of Israel and his Messiah. Jerusalem was the address that God intended uh, for him and for the people. And to emphasize that Jerusalem is the city of God and not of man, we want to look together at Psalm 122. Um, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of Adonai. Our feet are standing within thy gates, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that art builded as a city compact together. He says he was glad. He had simcha, joy, when they said go up to Jerusalem. Um, do you know that feeling of when you're going to some place you like, uh, whether it's grandma's house, or whether it's uh, Six Flags, um, you know, here in Columbus, I guess you can go anywhere. Uh, you're right in the center. I don't know where you go to be glad in Columbus uh, to an OSU game, uh, a football game if they're winning. If you have, uh, you're one of the how many hundred thousand people who go uh, cheer them on. Um, but that feeling of being glad to go somewhere where you have, I hope it's the Kehilan Shabbat uh, coming here as our dear sister shared about the joy of worshiping and the sanctity of Shabbat. Um, for many, it is coming to worship uh, in a place where you'll see your friends and, and share a Kabbalat Shabbat together. Um, this feeling of joy and of contentment uh, was to characterize the worshipers of Adonai when they went to the city of Jerusalem. Not of commandment, not of burden, not of confusion, but of joy. Uh, this is what God expects of his people when they go to worship him, that we worship him with joy um, when we, our feet are at the gate. He says Jerusalem is a city compacted together. It's kind of a hard phrase to understand. Um, if you've been to Jerusalem, you know it's not really spread out. You know, what I love in the U.S. is how, you know, all the cities have the, the circle ring, 
And, uh, you know, you can go around the circle ring, and if that's too crowded, you know, my GPS sends me this way and that way. Well, Jerusalem has, it's never going to have a circle ring highway um, that uh, you can really easily get around all of the city um, because of the mountains and going down to Jericho, which obviously you like going down to Jericho, um, or up to Jericho, didn't quite get the reference, but up to Jerusalem, down to Jericho. Uh, it's, it's compacted together in biblical times. It was just the city of David. That one mound represented the hill, and to leave it, you had to go down to the Mount, uh, go down to the Valley of Kidron, up to the Mount of Olives. Uh, Jerusalem surrounded by valleys and mountains. Um, so compacted together is kind of a nice way of saying it's kind of mashed together um, and not spread out or a sprawling city. Jerusalem doesn't really even have much by way of natural resources. It has two springs uh, that that was it. And the only way people could live in Jerusalem with a constant water supply was by using cisterns, gathering the winter rain, and then relying on the two small springs. But he was glad to go up to this city and to worship the Lord uh, God. Um, then in uh, verses 4 and 5, he says, Where the tribes go up, even the tribes of Jehovah, for an ordinance of Israel. Now this be begins to focus in on the issue. The tribes of Israel, um, we know, uh, ordained by God, the descendants of Judah, of Jacob. Um, and then he uses an interesting phrase. He says, an ordinance for Israel, which is Adat Yisrael. Uh, some, we know of some congregations called Adat Yeshua. Um, Adat uh, speaks of the testimony, but it speaks of the legal obligations given to the people of Israel through the, the Torah. In the Torah, God gave uh, obligations to the tribes of Israel uh, and obligations to the tribe of Levi. Uh, in the Haftorah, Haftorah portion that was read uh, in Ezekiel, it talked about the services of the temple and of the gates. Well, this was what was entrusted to the people of Israel. It isn't our city, is what I contend to say, but we were entrusted as the caretakers of that which is holy and that which was sacred, caretakers. It's a big difference between being a caretaker and the owner. Who owns the city? Hashem. Who did God give to be the caretakers? The Adat Israel. The tribes of Israel were to be the caretakers of that city. Not everybody would live in the city. Just the tribe of Judah was apportioned to that area. And the Levites who had temple service were there to care for it. And I think sometimes as the Israel, we forget that we were the caretakers um, and feel like we're the, the owners of the city. Um, and that's a very fine point of uh, identification. Um, if somebody's a caretaker of a property um, and the owner returns, uh, you step aside. He's the owner. Um, theoretically, the owner could fire the caretaker uh, in this case, God has made an eternal contract with the people of Israel that we will be the eternal caretakers. Um, it's his contract with us, 
Not uh, our terms with him, but yet God was specific when the Jewish people are not worshiping the Lord and desecrating the temple. As we already said, God had the freedom to destroy the city, the temple, to cast out the, uh, the caretakers into diaspora. But he says, your job as caretakers, as people of my covenant, I will always remember. And I think the world and others have forgotten the role that the Jewish people are the caretakers with an eternal covenant. It's not that we can do no wrong. It's just that if we do, God will judge us, but God will restore us. Um, and I think that's the part that many people, even in the church, Christians, need to remember, is that God has destroyed the city, has destroyed our temples, but he is also committed to restoring the people of Israel and restoring us to service. Um, and verse 4 and 5 speaks of this, for there are set thrones for judgment. The judgment was pronounced against Israel, but lo, uh, woe to anyone who thinks that the judgment of God won't fall upon the nations or fall upon the church and believers in Jesus where we don't stand true to God's word. Um, and Jerusalem was that symbol of the judgment, not of Israel, but of the Lord God, of Adonai, the thrones of the house of David. Um, the thrones of the house of David speak of the Messiah. When it was, David wrote this, the Messiah who was to come and was to have his rightful place uh, in Jerusalem. But the role of the Jewish people was that as caretakers. Um, if you follow the news, uh, uh, there was a really strange conflict going on in Jerusalem. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, the caretakers of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is the Catholic Church, uh, Greek Orthodox Church, Ethiopian Coptic Church, and I think one or two others, they shut down the Church of the Holy Sepulchre on strike. <laughs> it's the first time it's ever been shut down. And what were they striking about? The municipality of Jerusalem, uh, it seemed like, was demanding that taking away their tax status and demanding that they pay taxes. <laughs> and their protest was, we're shutting down the church of the Holy Sepulchre so Christian pilgrims cannot go there to worship because we're mad at the government, the municipality of Israel. Only in Israel would you get this kind of conflict. Um, and it, it turns out it's a lot more complex than that. Uh, brother, uh, 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 if anybody's involved in real estate, uh, basically the churches that had property before 1948 uh, were ta are tax-exempt in the state of Israel. Um, and Israel wasn't changing that status quo, but some of these enterprising churches in the desire to get more revenue were selling their property to real estate investors. Um, and Israeli government said, wait a minute, this property was given to the church for your religious purposes, not to speculate and sell the property. If you're going to sell the property... Um, the uh, tax, you owe us taxes. And if you're going to sell the property, the charter for the land goes back to the state of Israel, not to, it's not yours to sell freely. Um, but when you looked on the news, it said uh, Israel was demanding taxes from uh, the churches and took away their tax status. And how would Jews feel if other countries did that to us? As an aside, other countries not only have taken away our property, um, but murdered us, um, uh, millions of Jews 
without a shred of conscience. So when you read that in the newspaper, it sounds condemning to Israel, uh, totally missing the accuracy of what's happening and totally missing the point of um, the Jewish people. And by the way, on the literature table, I have a book uh, written by Dr. Michael Brown about uh, the, the bloodstained hands that goes through the history of, of anti-Semitism and how in spite of it, the love of God for his people uh, perseveres. So I just share that just by way of uh, current events so you understand uh, what's going on because uh, it gets very confusing. Now we come to the verse that we all know and love, um, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Sha'alu shalom Yerushalayim. So what could I say about this verse uh, that's not controversial? Well, it's not really saying what we think it's saying. Uh, pray for the peace of... Sha'alu shalom Yerushalayim. Uh, all of you uh, Hebrew scholars here, or beginner Hebrews, know that shalu doesn't mean to pray. It means to ask, to make inquiry of Jerusalem. Uh, so while this is a great verse, and in its essence it is asking prayer, but it's a little more uh, uh, involved in that. It's not just praying for Jerusalem, because what do we pray for? Uh, we're told elsewhere to pray for the peace of Jerusalem here, but it says make inquiry of the peace of Jerusalem. What is happening in Jerusalem? What do I need to be concerned about? And one of the best examples of this type of inquiry goes back to the book of Nehemiah. If you remember the opening chapters of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is uh, in exile with the other Jewish people in Babylon. He rose to a position of prominence. Uh, he's serving the king of Babylon basically in the security division. He's a wine taster. Uh, he wasn't tasting the wine to make sure that it was a proper uh, bouquet uh, or that uh, the king wasn't going to be served uh, a dry red wine uh, instead of a sweeter wine. The job of the wine tester was to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Uh, it's a security job, not a very good one, because uh, you get to be wrong once. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or he gets a bottle of wine and smells it. It might be poisonous. Here, uh, Jacob, why don't you taste this? <laughs> um, and in this position of prominence, he still was concerned about Jerusalem. And in the opening of Nehemiah, he hears that a contingent is coming back from Jerusalem, and he rushes out to the gate to make inquiry. Tell me about Jerusalem. And they say, the walls have been torn down, the gates have been burned. And he throws himself in the dirt um, and is beating his chest in mourning. And it could almost cost him his life because when he goes back to the king, the king sees that he's not up to his job. Um, kind of like if you walked into work on Monday, God forbid, after time went on all weekend or extending your Purim celebration uh, for a couple of more days and you walk in all disheveled and hung over, um, his king didn't put him to death. His king says, what's wrong? And that's the perfect example of Nehemiah making inquiry of Jerusalem. And I think this is what we, as the people of God, need to be doing, is, is making inquiry. Um, and your congregation, obviously, as a Messianic congregation, and with the leadership you've had, are well informed of uh, 
Israel, and you've taken trips there, and people come over. Um, you know, I, I'm sure you get reports or updates uh, from uh, Howard and his wife about their son and his, what he's doing in Israel. Um, but it's that kind of concern. As Messianic Jews and Messianic congregation, I think we need to be on the forefront of good information um, of what's going on in Israel as we communicate with our friends and people and other fellowships um, so that they have an understanding. And then to take that understanding into something tangible, and the most tangible thing we could do as believers in Yeshua is to pray. Pray with knowledge. Pray without ceasing. Pray for the peace and well-being of Jerusalem. Pray for the people of Jerusalem uh, in this diverse city. Um, while it is God's city, inhabiting it are Jews, religious Jews, secular Jews, are historic Christians, are Muslims. Um, God has compacted them together into the city, um, a city of strife, um, but yet a city that functions. You can still go from East Jerusalem to West Jerusalem uh, without going through checkpoints or showing your passports, um, and people go back and forth. Um, if Israel had put and put you know, border points or checkpoints in East Jerusalem, um, it would stop uh, terrorism. But the terrorism is controlled in Jerusalem because people... Arabs and Jews want to live there and function there. They want to go to work. Um, but it's, these are the people of Jerusalem. Uh, these are the people who, who live there and dwell there. Um, last year was a terrible incident on the Temple Mount. Um, against all standards, uh, two terrorists shot and murdered uh, the pol uh, policemen, two policemen who are Set on guard, who are guards of, of the Temple Mount, Israeli policemen, and their job was to protect order for the Muslim worshipers. And they were essentially assassinated uh, because the terrorists killed uh, two Druze policemen. These are Israeli citizens. They're not Muslim. They're not Jewish. And so the government has them there because they're, they're neutral. They speak Arabic, um, and they were gunned down. Um, I went uh, in a, a nearby village where I live. Uh, one of the policemen, um, he was from that village. And I went to honor him and to his family's memorial service. Um, you know, um, and you know, it was a very tending, tender moment. And his father, uh, the police, slain police officer, came up to me and thanked me uh, for coming. Uh, and I said, and I was introduced as a Jew, a Messianic Jew who was just paying respects to a police officer doing his job on the Temple Mount. So it's very complex why uh, the terrorists chose to assassinate the Druze policemen, um, but that is, uh, that is Jerusalem. Um, another picture of Jerusalem, and uh, probably some of the most disruptive people in Jerusalem is the fellow on the bottom left, uh, the Israeli football team, soccer team, is pretty fanatical. Uh, and uh, you can imagine a Jewish guy wearing a tattoo of his football team. Uh, but yet in the midst of that, the love of Yeshua needs to go out to the people of Jerusalem. And it's a challenge. It's a challenge to the Messianic Jews to speak to our people, uh, whether religious or secular. 
Uh, it's a challenge to the uh, evangelical uh, Arabs who live in Jerusalem. It's a challenge to the many uh, what we call expats, foreigners who love the Lord who live in Jerusalem, um, but yet we're committed to bringing the good news of Yeshua uh, to the people of Jerusalem. And uh, as the chapter, as the, pro the section continues, and prosperity within my palaces, uh, for my brethren's sake, um, and companions, I say peace be within you for the sake of uh, the house of our God, um, I will seek thy good. Um, what a beautiful prayer. Caring for Jerusalem, being concerned for the things of God, is to bring the people of God peace. And the sense of prosperity is not the prosperity doctrine that you hear. The sense of prosperity uh, in Hebrews Osher, it's a happy, it's a contentment. Uh, and, you know, and I guess it's okay to say the word prosperity, but it doesn't mean the financial prosperity that we think of today. The prosperity is contentment. Are you content with your walk with the Lord? Are you content in your heart? There used to be an old hymn, it, was, it is well with my soul. Uh, we don't sing them in our Messianic congregations. Maybe we could translate. And, he, and actually in Israel, we have a worship book that was translated by the Anglicans about 50 years ago that has songs like that. But the song, It is well with my soul. Is it well with your soul? as you stand with Yeshua? Are you at peace and content with your faith? Are the things that you strive after the things that God wants you to be striving after? Are the anxieties that you carry uh, that ruin your contentment the things that the Lord wants you to be carrying? Or are you able to say, uh, as the, the songwriter did, it is well with my soul. And in Psalm 122, the psalmist is saying, if you are concerned about the things of God, if you're concerned about the people of God, if you're concerned about the house of the Lord, if you're concerned about the city of God, your priorities are adjusted and it will be well with your soul and you will have prosperity. You will have a contentment that will stay with you. And the opposite side, or the check, is if I'm not content, if I'm not at peace, if I'm anxious, then we could say that we're not in balance or alignment with the things of God. And we need to get in alignment. And by reading the scriptures, we know what's important to God. Um, and in the New Testament, we're told in Philippians that we to be at, at peace and that there is no anxiety uh, for those of us who love the Lord because we're trusting him for all things. And so this verse at the end of the psalm really is an, align an alignment verse. Is your heart aligned with the Messiah? Do you know his salvation? Do you know his peace? Do you know his contentment? Are we walking with the things that are important to God uh, at a place of prominence in our life? And if we are, we have this prosperity. If we are, we have the ability to cope with whatever life sends our way. And in Israel, uh, that's a big checklist of what may come tomorrow. Um, after the experience of a month ago with the air raid siren and the bomb shelter and the, the talk that's going on with the government and uh, in uh, regard to Iran, I, I left with the prayer that, Lord, help Jeannie and I to get home safe before anything happens. Because my heart is to be with my congregation, to be in our city if, God forbid, 
uh, trouble erupts so that we could care for the people. In our little congregation, Or HaGalil, we have widows and elderly women who, uh, if a war breaks out, would be very, uh, uh, very helpless. Um, and we'd want to be there to minister to them. Um, if war breaks out, we want to be able to share the gospel, to share the love of Messiah with our neighbors. Uh, you have to appreciate that the Arabs in Galilee are very worried. They discovered harshly in 2006 that Hezbollah aims the rockets at the Arab villages. Um, and since 2006, interesting, many of the Arabs, Muslim and Christian, have started joining the army, Tzahal, because they said Tzahal is the only army that will protect us, and if they're going to protect us, we want to be able to contribute to them. And uh, right now there's like over 25 organizations of Arab Christian soldiers, uh, you know, like the USO, uh, providing a need for them. Um, and we're trying at our congregation to partner with the Arab congregations to uh, bring the message of Yeshua to our people, to be equipped to share with them. We need you as friends to stand with us. Um, I would like you to take out the, you got the brochure from Chosen People. Um, uh, most of you should have got it. Uh, if you didn't, we have some on the back table. But tear it on the perforated edge, and you wind up with two sections. Uh, ah, that's the sound I want to hear, tearing of the card. Come on, more. One, two, three. Uh, do us a favor and uh, fill out the card. Uh, it's so funny. I've done this. This is the third ministry I'm here representing at your congregation. Uh, but our ministry has stayed the same. Jeannie and I send out an update uh, from our home uh, to you through email or through uh, regular mail. Uh, we'd like you to get it. I think of it as your way of making inquiry. You know, we're sending a letter uh, of what's going on, what's really going on. Um, you know, we're not a big operation. I don't have a lot to hype. Uh, and so we're just talking about our fellowship or what's come to my mind. Maybe you'll want to communicate back with us saying, hey, Brian, what about this or what about that? And uh, I have opinions. You may not agree with it, but I'll try to answer any question uh, thoughtfully and as accurately as possible. Uh, so I encourage you, please, uh, fill out the card, turn it in. Uh, either in the uh, pushka in the back or at the literature table. Um, this morning you'll have an opportunity to give to our ministry uh, in Israel, and the front of the card gives you all kinds of ways uh, that you can give to uh, our ministry at uh, Or HaGalil Congregation and through chosen people. Though I don't see here, there's no way to give your firstborn. Um, so please, uh, you won't be able to give the most precious thing, uh, but that's okay. We don't have room or passports to take any firstborn. Or, or sorry, for any of you farmers, I've been in farm country here for the last week in Ohio. Uh, can't take your calves or uh, your lambs or anything like that, or you're too, too early for bushels of winter wheat. Um, so we just have to give through normal ways. But the biggest gift you can give is your concern. Um, as we think of Jerusalem, we're left on the brink of... Yeshua's return. We're left on the brink of that day when Yeshua says, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, we're waiting for that time, for Yeshua's return. And it's not connected to the politics. 
And I don't know if moving the American embassy to Jerusalem is a sign that we're closer to the return of Yeshua. Um, I, I've been a believer now you know, since 1970, and uh, I have so many times heard that we're on the brink of Yeshua's return. Um, and uh, he's coming, that we know. Uh, it wasn't October 1988 when there was 88 reasons why Yeshua is returning. It wasn't last year with the blood moons. Um, he's coming. Um, and we're called to be faithful uh, until he returns. And that is my hope uh, and prayer for us. Um, let me have a word of prayer for us and for the people of Israel and Jerusalem. Avinu Malkenu. We thank you, our Father, our God, for your goodness and your mercy. And I thank you for the great salvation that we have in Yeshua, the King of kings that you sent to the city as a servant, as a suffering servant, but one whose return we wait for in glory. And Father, our prayer is the prayers of the followers of Yeshua in the first century, which was Maranatha. Come soon, Lord Yeshua. Come soon. We need you now more than ever. Our people of Israel need you now, Lord, as we're caught in confusion and tension and burden. We need the loving, gentle love of the Messiah to come upon us. I pray for our neighbors that are caught in conflict, murdering each other. And in the midst of that, Father, the cries of women and children cry out to you for peace, Lord. And we pray that the peace of Messiah may come upon our neighbors uh, in their torment that you might send the love of Yeshua to burst through in Syria, uh, to burst through in Lebanon, and to burst through in Iran, Father. May you bless our enemies, Father, with the peace of Yeshua. Father, I pray for our testimony as believers here in Bet Messiah, that you would be with us and enable us to stand for you, Father. May we seek that prosperity, that contentment, that peace that passes all understanding. May we seek that peace and that prosperity that comes only through the love of Yeshua. Father, may we know it in our lives and our souls this Shabbat and every day. For it's in Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.